Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to have you back again this week. As always, we're on a journey together. This is an opportunity for us to be able to talk with one another, to work with one another. And every week, I love being able to sit down with you and to talk with you about the journey that you're on to raise your daughters. And I've mentioned this many times, but as you get older, as your kids get older, there are going to be those phases, those ebbs and flows, the ups and downs. And I love talking to you about this. It's important for that we talk about this because there's no one right way to father. There are many ways that you can father and you can learn from so many people around you. But also every week, I love being able to have different dads that are joining us and different people that are joining us that can help you along that journey. And you can learn from them as well. This week, we got another great guest. Chris Zito is with us. And Chris is a father of four. He definitely has kids that are grown and flown. We're going to talk about that. But definitely, we're going to have some opportunities to learn from his own experience and to help you in the journey that you're on. Chris, thanks so much for being here today. My absolute pleasure, Chris. Thanks for inviting me. It is my pleasure having you here today. I love to start by first being able to have the power to turn the clock back in time. And wouldn't we all like that at, at points in time? But I would love to have you go back to that first moment, that first moment that you found out you were going to be a dad to a daughter. What was going through your head? Well, first of all, I was 18 when I got that news. I was 19 when she was born. You know, I always joke that I went to college for one year. I majored in psychedelic drugs and got my girlfriend pregnant. So it was not the ideal way to begin fatherhood. But the other thing I always say about her uh, uh, is that she was unexpected, but never unwanted. Because even growing up, I knew I wanted to be a father. I wanted to have my own family. I just didn't expect it to start as early as it did. And of course, I also had no idea exactly what I was in for. I used to do this joke in my stand-up act about how her parents were freaking out. My parents were freaking out. She and I weren't even freaking out as much because we had no idea. You know, I said to my dad, we're in love. We don't need money. He said, oh, that's great because you won't have any. And of course, he was right. And uh, poverty got boring in a hurry. But so that was hard. But And I didn't know that it was going to be a girl until she was born. This was before gender reveal parties and even... Uh, people finding out through ultrasound what the gender was going to be. But so for me, it was a typical first time father. I had no preference. I wanted a healthy child. And so that's what we got. And I should work in as I often, as I do in every, just about every conversation, that baby grew up and today has a PhD. Dr. Kagashal, as I often refer to her, that's her married name. And so <laughs> I like to throw, because I got to tell you, Chris, when something like that happens, I blame the parents. Like to take a little credit if something goes right, right? You definitely want to do that and take credit where credit where you can, but also help to to raise up your daughter and 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 shout from the rooftops when things are going well, especially in this world of social media. But and and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. It's not always a good thing, you know. When we when people t tend to see only the positive things that are happening in people's lives, but you know, it is something that we deal with. Now I know that. 
as you kind of said, you didn't know what you didn't know. And every dad goes through that as you go into it. And a lot of dads that I talk to talk to me about being fearful, especially when it comes to having a daughter. So what was your biggest fear in raising daughters? Well, I can tell you that while her mother was pregnant and I had never been a father before, I had this fear that I wouldn't love this kid. I mean, that was something that just kind of came out of nowhere. I honestly thought, well, what if the baby is born and I'm just kind of, meh, whatever. Now, of course, that was not the case. It was much more like love at first sight. It was an immediate connection. It was, as I'm sure you've heard a lot of fathers say, that's up there with the best days of my life, especially her, because that's when I became a father. But of course, I, I had this feeling of wanting to protect her and wanting to, the early part of her life, because I'm a guy in recovery, I'm a recovery covering alcoholic. And I got sober when she was about seven or eight. So the first part of her life, I wasn't as thoughtful of a father as I would become later on in her life. So a lot of times early in her life, my big fear was that, do I have enough booze in the house because they don't sell anything on Sunday? But I also had a lot of fear of financial insecurity, constantly chasing rent. And I mean, we probably moved every year the first five, six years of her life because the rent would go up and then we'd go out and get a lousier apartment until things started to get better. And But when I talk now to young dads, I talk a lot about that fear because I was a young kid. I was derailed my college career. I didn't have a career. I was barely employable. We didn't have any money. But one of the things that I learned as years went by, and I've met so many fathers over the years, and now that I talk to dads, I find that that men that become a father for the first time later in life, let's say a guy's pushing 40 and he gets the news that he's going to be a father and he has a career and he has some money in the bank and he has a 401k. And when I talk to these guys, they express the same fear that I remember having. And that's what I tell young dads. Like, it doesn't matter your circumstances. This fear is going to come up because you always feel like, is it enough? Is it, am I giving my kids enough? Am I going to have enough? Are they going to be well-fed? Are they going to be well-dressed? Are they going to be well-educated? Are they going to be well-prepared to have a successful life? I mean, those are huge questions. <laughs> that's a really big, that's what makes the job so important. Those are big, big questions. They are big questions. And I think every dad struggles with it. You know, your kid goes off after high school to whether it's to college, whether it's to trade, whether it's to work, and you start to see them spreading their wings a bit. And there's a fear at different points in your kids' lives. And the fear that you have when your child is first born, as they go to school for the first time, as they get into middle school, as they get into high school, as they go off into college, each of those phases, each of those times in their life, the fear is just a little bit different. And then as you're, I'm, I'm sure, and you can, you can talk to this a lot more than I can right now, once your child gets beyond high school and whether they've gone to college or not, and then they go out on their own for the first time, there's more fear. And so I think that fear doesn't just end for a parent. It's always there. Well, that's why, I mean, I feel like, you know, we're never going to be able to eliminate those fears completely. So what I tried to learn how to do, and I learned a lot of this in recovery, is learning about what causes the fear, how to live with the fear, how to diminish the fear. And the thing about fear is that everybody that you meet, when I talk to dads about their fears, I maybe don't know what their specific fear, but I know where it lives because all fear lives in the future. 
everything we've ever been afraid of. It's always something that hasn't happened yet. So one of the first things I point out to these dads is we're here together tonight. Every fear you've ever experienced, whether it came true or not, every disaster, every catastrophe, every emergency, every difficult situation you've ever faced, you made it through. You made it through all of those. And the evidence is that you're sitting, we're all here together tonight. So we've all made it this far. And that's something that's important to remember when a fear pops up in my day. So first of all, I'll talk a little bit about mindfulness. I don't like to use that word because it kind of conjures up this sort of meditation. It seems so complicated, but the way I put it is I'd like to keep my head where my feet are. And so then I'm living in the now. So if I'm in the now, what's going to happen next isn't as fearful. It doesn't create that fear. The fear comes when I'm thinking about what's going to happen next so much. But if I'm keeping my head where my feet are, it's not going to happen as much. I can stop and I can pause and I can remember all the evidence that's behind me that tells me I'm going to be able to get through whatever's coming next. And that's immensely important to remember. It's so easy to forget when the fear comes up that, oh, yeah, I faced this fear before. And guess, you know, and you know what? Everything worked out. Maybe not the way I thought it would, but we're still here. So that's the good news. That is the good news. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that you've got four kids. Each one of your children are different from one another. And they come, as you talked to me before, from two different marriages. And so every father that has multiple kids has to be able to develop those relationships in unique ways and has to maintain those relationships, has to build them throughout their kids' lives and maintain them throughout their kids' lives. Talk to me about what you had to do as your kids were growing, but even now that they're adults, that you have had to do to be able to build those unique relationships with each of your children. Well, they all live in such different situations too. So it, it sort of comes naturally. Like uh, Dr. Kogashal, who I mentioned, she and her husband sold their house and they bought an RV and they live in an RV. They both work remotely. They're both well-educated. They're both professionals, but they work remotely. And so they live in this RV. It's like them in an RV park and they're the only ones under 70 you know, almost the only ones under 70. And so whenever I talk to her, it's about that life that she's chosen and she just sounds so happy doing it. It just blows my mind. I, I get off the phone with her and I go, she's, she just sounds so happy. I, I mean, you can't ask for more than that. Now, my son, who's about to turn 40, has two daughters. He's given me two granddaughters. Now, that's the great news. The bad news is they live in Pensacola, Florida, and I live in Massachusetts. So I don't get to see them that often. And he and I talk a lot about being dads. He's the only one of my children that has children. And so I always joke with him. You know, I always tell him, you know what, Ben, got to remember, you come from a long line of dads. So make sure that you're, you know, I mean, the name of my podcast and my talk is dad, like it's your job. And so we talk a lot about fatherhood. It was typical. I had that same experience when I became a father, my relationship, the way I saw my own father changed dramatically, very quickly, once I became a father. So we, he and I talk a lot about his daughters and the younger one I hear from all the time with today's technology. She sends me these videos on Facebook Messenger and she'll reach out and we FaceTime all the time. And the other one just turned 14 and she has about as much time for me as she has for her dad. So... <laughs> And now the ones that are home, my daughter, Mackenzie's 23. She's about to graduate from college. Her big concern is trying to find a job in her field and maybe move out. And so my wife and I try to reassure her. We don't have a calendar where there's no clock ticking. You know what I mean? I think she feels like the day after she walks to get her degree, her bags are going to be packed at the front door. So we try to reassure her because I don't know if you've looked at rents out there or, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard for kids to get out on their own. It's harder than ever. 
And then the baby is a senior in high school and uh, she is openly trans. She came out to us about a little over two years ago and she is just now starting her medical transition. So when you see her, she sort of presents as gender nonconforming, but she is and she just signed with a modeling agency because She's six feet tall and 140 pounds. And so she's built like a runway model and long, thick, wavy hair. And so she's been navigating a lot of that. And that's a lot of our conversations are just making sure that she gets to her medical appointments, that all of that stuff is covered, that she understands everything that's happened, that we all understand each other, that she continues to get that sort of support that, hey, we're with you. We don't use her dead name. We have pictures of her when she was little Vincent. And I've asked her multiple times, hey, you want me to get rid of these pictures? Because that's something that because we've you know studied up on this. And I don't know. She's very patient with us. She's very relaxed about that sort of stuff. I think that she's kind of like, no, that's uh, that's that was me. That was me. I'm OK with those pictures. So those are the kind of things that we deal with a lot with her. And then, of course, the usual high school stuff. How are your grades? When are you going to be home? Who are you going to be with? Trans or no, she's an 18-year-old girl, and so there's still a lot of those same concerns. So talk to me about that, because you had three other children that conform to the gender that they were at birth. You have a, a fourth child that throws a little bit of a curveball, and you and your spouse have figured that out and have worked through that. But for others that may be just starting this process, they may be trying to figure out for themselves what does that mean for our family? How do we best support our child? You know, what can we do to be there for them? What did you have to do to be able to get to the point where you're at now, where I can see, I mean, you are supporting your child, you're supporting who they are, who they're becoming. It may not have started there, but that's where you've ended in the end. You know, for us, my wife and I, we almost immediately started walking this tightrope of giving her as much support as we could muster, but also taking our time. And that was our big concern. Well, we don't want to rush into this. What we found out very quickly is that there is no rushing into this. If you have an adolescent that's transgender, there is no rushing in. There has to be a therapist in place. There has to be a pediatrician, a, a primary care physician, a pediatrician. There has to be a neuropsych evaluation. There has to be preliminary meetings with a pediatric endocrinologist. And if you've ever even tried to get an appointment with your primary care physician, you can imagine that all these appointments and developing a relationship with all these different people takes time. And so there was a lot of time where we sort of eased into this. And the other thing that I found, and this is the thing that I'm probably least proud of, about all of this is that I found that one of the things that we always have to remember when something's happening to our child is that it's happening to them because I have a tendency to take on what's happening to my children like it's happening to me and it isn't. And so when V came out as transgender, I remember thinking, geez, you couldn't just come out as gay. I've been waiting since you were like five years old to tell me that you're gay because people barely raise an eyebrow. And it seems like transgender now is the hot button issue. You go back to 2000, Marriage equality was the big issue in that presidential election. That was the big culture war wedge issue. And right now, as we're sitting here, transgender youth is the big wedge issue. And there's so much misinformation and so much fear and so much confusion about it. So I was so afraid for her, and I still I am. I'm always afraid that she's going to be bullied or be harassed. We're very fortunate that we live in Massachusetts. I mean, you can't sell a health insurance policy in my state 
unless it covers gender affirming care. That's how progressive this state is. And so we feel very safe in that way. We feel that our government is not going to be attacking us. We don't live in fear that our state legislature is going to pass laws that it's going to make it illegal for V to get the care that she's already begun. And because we've also had the experience that almost textbook when you read about what the what what the medical associations have have found out about transgender kids is this was a kid that was sullen alone depressed self-harming ended up doing inpatient treatment suicidal ideation today this is a kid that's relaxed smiles easily great sense of humor excelling in school good friends everything you would want for your teenage kid that's what's happening with this kid now self-assured and confident. And she is a power of example to me because part of what I experienced was I felt like I had to come out because I was afraid to share this information with certain friends of mine because I knew that if they reacted a certain way, I'd lose them. I was afraid that I would share with a buddy of mine. Oh, well, when they asked about Vincent, oh, Vincent is now V. Vincent is, has come out as transgender and, and V is a, a girl now. And if they reacted poorly to that or didn't support it, I knew that I would lose that person. Now, I can happily say that so far that hasn't happened. And I had to live with that fear. That was a new fear that I had to live with. And then I had, but I also had to remember, like, I don't have to come out because it's her. She's the one that has to come out. She's the one that has to live with us. Watching her maneuver and live her life. And it's something to see. She just does it. She just does it. And well, what can I say? She's my kid. So <laughs> I'm a little biased, I guess, but she's a badass. I'll tell you that. She really is. So talk to me a little bit about that maneuvering when you talk about having to come out yourself and be able to share your own truth and your child's truth to people around you. But you also are in a very public profession. You are a radio host you are a you you are a individual that is doing stand-up comedy you know people know of you know your person your persona that they know on you know the radio waves and they get a certain perspective of who you are and they box you in in that way you now become an advocate for your child and your own light but at the same time you've got a part of yourself that people don't know so talk to me about that journey that you had to go on and kind of the reaction that you've received from your friends, the public, et cetera, as people start to, to learn more about your own life. Well, it's an interesting thing. My relationship with my listeners is a really interesting thing because radio is such a personal medium. I mean, when I'm on the air in the morning, most of the people that are listening are sitting in the car by themselves. It's just us. And it feels very personal. And of course, I'm typical morning radio host. I talk a lot about my my wife, Elizabeth. When I do stand up and she's with me, people will be like, oh my God, you're Elizabeth. And they will ask her about certain incidences that I've talked about on the air. She's kind of gotten used to that over the years that she knows that people are going to think they know her, you know, because of the stories that I tell. And so they think they know me too. And when I'm on the air, it's a version of myself. It's very close to my real life when I'm on the air in the morning. My stand-up is a little different. You know, comedians notoriously lie for comedic effect, whether it's an exaggeration or whether it's complete fabrication. I mean, I have stuff in my life that is, you know, everything I do is told in the first person when I do my stand-up, but some of it's a complete lie. It never happened. 
You know, I mean, that's the classic thing. You know, a comedian gets on stage. Hey, a funny thing happened to me on the way over here. Nothing happened on the way over here. Nothing. I drove here and I got here and everything is fine. But so that's why sometimes with V, I don't talk about having a transgender child in my stand-up act just because I haven't figured that out yet. I haven't figured out how to be honest and funny about it at the same time. The closest thing I've found is that is that is that quip about saying you couldn't just come out as gay. I think there's something there about how this is now the thing that's got people upset. Whereas you go back 25 years or 30 years, it was the same thing with kids coming out as gay. And I don't know, I feel like so a lot of times in my act, I don't mention all the kids or I use sort of generic pronouns for V. But I also still have this stuff about living with a, a 16 year old boy and what that's like about how 16 year old boys have nothing to say. You know, living with a 16 year old boy can be like an oak tree. Oh, what a sparkling conversationalist. And that stuff, sometimes I still use those jokes because it just is. And that's always been when I talk about my kids in my stand up act, there's always a lag. You know, because I have these jokes about them that I know work and people are paying to laugh. And so I do the stuff that I know they're going to laugh at. And there's a lag because I just don't I don't have three or five minute chunk of funny stuff about my youngest being transgender. I just don't have it yet. And until I do, I won't be doing that. In talking about stand up in that regard, I mean, in having to find the humor in life around you, you know, there's definitely things in life where there is humor. And you can bring that real life aspect. But as you said, comedians can lie about that as well to bring in the dramatic or humor into the act itself. Talk to me about reality versus the the lie, we'll say, in how your kids have been a part of your stand-up and how much they want to be a part of the stand-up. <laughs> you know, that it's funny that you ask that because they all have different reactions to that, depending on what I key in on. You know, like with my son, I talk about how he was destructive growing up. He still still comes over to my house and breaks stuff. The kid owes me money, ate me out of house and home. So it's not exactly whereas his older sister, I talk about how she grew up and got a Ph.D. <laughs> So he's like, really? You can't, there's nothing about me, dad? That <laughs> So, but now, like with my 23-year-old, there was an incident that happened where the bit almost wrote itself. And it's a bit that absolutely crushes. It was probably two years ago now. Now, see, it's another, in my act, it's always a few months ago. She dragged us into the kitchen. You know, this is the idea of living with a kid this age that's almost done with college. You're not going to ground her. She's technically an adult. She has her own money. And this actually happened. She pulled her mom and I into the kitchen. She opened the fridge. She goes, I want to show you guys something. You see that yogurt? I put my initials on that yogurt because I bought it with my own money. And so my wife and I kind of looked at each other and smiled. My wife goes, well, honey, maybe dad and I will put our initials on all the other food in the refrigerator. How would that be? And then, of course, and that's what happened. And so in the, in the act, I say, I have a better idea. I'm going to put my initials right on the fridge. And then I had a real brainstorm. I'll just put my initials on the front door of the house. How you like me now? And then she changes her tune and says, you guys can have some of my yogurt if you want. So, but that based on an actual thing that happened. And you know, so it's really just a little bit of it. It just extrapolates it, you know, play it out to, to a little further than it went. And as 
embarrassing as you might think that is for her, she's been to my show a couple of times with girlfriends of hers, and she's like nudging them like, this is it. This is the joke I was telling you about. That's uh, This is me. That's me. That really happened. So she's pretty excited about it. And for V, I tend to not do the stuff about the 17-year-old boy if, if she's in the audience. I just leave that out or I do something. I have other stuff that's about her that I just use uh, they or just I just avoid the pronouns. So although she's told me straight, she's very open. She's like, she's, she's like, you can talk to anybody you want about the fact that I'm trans. Anybody you want. She's very open about it. So that's what I mean. She's a power of example. She's probably more open about it than I am. So you are a busy guy. You are, people know you, like I said, publicly and they know your voice, but then they may know you in person in that regard too, or they feel like they know you. But you are busy and you're wearing a lot of hats. You're doing a lot of things. You've got your podcast. You've got your radio show. You've got your stand up. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of different different things. You're hustling and you're busy. So talk to me about as you had your kids, as they were getting older, how did you balance all of that and find that balance in your life to be able to be that engaged dad that you wanted to be? Well, for me, that's just a matter of where my priorities lie. Because that's one of the things that I never talk about is work-life balance. It's not just because that's there's a gajillion speakers out there talking about work-life balance. I don't believe in work-life balance. I talk about life-work balance. I flip it around. In fact, when I first had this thought, when I was developing this talk and the idea for the podcast, I thought about life-work balance. So I just Googled life-work balance. And you know what came up? A million pages about work-life balance. I just, Google wouldn't even give me life-work balance. And so when you look at the phrase work-life balance, it literally puts work first. And so that's why I think it's important to flip it around. And I know that it's made a difference in my career because of the priorities that I've set. Over the years, my oldest daughter, growing up, we'd be watching TV. I'd see a comedian on TV that's got his own special or, you know, here, you know, it's, uh, is there he is on TV on a sitcom. And I would say, hey, I know that guy. That guy featured for me when I used to travel when you were really little before I got into radio and I was traveling headlining comedy clubs. This guy middled for me. And she would say to me, one time she finally said to me, Dad, how come you know all these guys on TV, but you're not on TV? And I, I laughed and I said, because of you. OK, it's because of you. <laughs> And it's because I chose to get into this radio career so that I could still make people laugh and sleep in my own bed every night so that I could be around for my kids. You know, when my grown kids were growing up, I mean, I coached Little League. I coached basketball, sort of. I didn't really coach basketball. I was just there kind of as wrangling children because I don't really know basketball, but I was active in my church. I taught Sunday school. I was like the acolyte director at this one church for a while, you know, so I was uh, involved with my kids and the kids that I have now, I mean, well, my daughter, neither one of them are athletes, but my 23 year old daughter played softball in high school. We, I showed up at those games and that I'm, I'm very fortunate because of the radio job. It's morning radio. So I'm done by early afternoon. And Listen, there's been there's plenty of days where I'm really dragging ass by dinner time because I get up at a ridiculous hour to do my regular job. But the other thing that is so important to remember, I think, is that this idea of showing up for your kids, it's a relatively short time if you look at your whole life. And my thing is that those crowd clickers that you get that you see the like when you were young and going to nightclubs, you'd see the, the doorman use it to count heads. And to me, it's sort of like when you have a baby, the universe gives you one of those, but it has a big number on it, or it seems like a big number. And every time you show up for your kid, you click it and the number goes down. And well, guess what? Eventually the number gets to zero and they're gone. There's no more showing up to do. 
you're hoping they'll let you show up, you know, because they have their own life and they're busy and, you know, you hope you have a, a decent relationship with them and you have their love and respect. They still want you to be a part of their life. So true. And it does go by very fast. And hopefully by the time that your kids do leave the house that you have created a atmosphere and a relationship with them that will maintain and continue as they get older, as you get older, um, because that's important. Doesn't mean that you can't change the relationship so that if it's not where you want it to be when they first go off to graduate school or so on and so forth, but that it can change and you can change it and you can put more effort in to be able to rebuild that relationship. So I always put that out there as well. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where we ask five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? I'm ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Commitment. Now, when was a time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? Oh, maybe when I watched the oldest one walk for that PhD. Although, I mean, I joke that I blame the parents with her. But honestly, she is a self-made woman. I wasn't there footing the bill. She worked all the way through undergrad and graduate school, worked the entire time. And I mean, she worked her tail off. So I don't know, maybe the best contribution I gave her was the work ethic, you know, understanding that, you know, you could just keep your eyes on that goal. I'll tell you something else. There was another time with the 23 year old was not the guy that she's with now, but a guy that she was with previously when she broke up with this guy and why she broke up with him, I felt like, wow, she is standing up for her own values and refusing to be treated a certain way. She has strong boundaries around what she'll accept and what she won't. And I took some credit for that. She gets a lot of that from her mom. Her mom is somebody with strong boundaries. So that was good stuff. Now, if I was to talk to your kids, how would they describe you as a dad? Present, I hope, funny. They would definitely describe me as funny because I, I get more laughs from my kids than, than most dads do. I think present, patient. I think the, the ones that are living in the house now might say patient. My older ones, maybe not as much. I was younger and I didn't have any money. I was scared about the landlord back then, which put me gave me a shorter fuse than I have now. But so hopefully the ones that are coming of age now would say patient. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? Well... You touched on a tough one there for me because it's my own father who's gone. So, and I think that it's a special thing for me because I am in recovery. And I was a guy that when I was still a drunk, an active drunk, I had complete indifference towards this guy. And then eventually through my recovery, he became the best guy I knew. And uh, it wasn't because of a big transformation that he went through. Let's put it that way. So we got to be very close later in his life. And he lived to be almost 96. And boy, oh boy, that was December of 2019 he passed. So I don't know if your parents are still around, but mine are gone. And it's, I don't expect to ever get over it. I just have learned to live with it. But when I, I still talk to him sometimes and I, I try to think of what he would do or what he would say. You know, I think just like you said earlier, when it comes to the fleeting time with your kids, as you get older, you have to remember that the time with your own parents are fleeting and we don't know how long we have. And I think that that is important to understand as well, because I think that for anyone that has living parents, if your relationship is not strong and they're getting older, revisit it and try to see if there's any way to salvage. You know, sometimes that's not a possibility, but 
sometimes there is. And being able to have that parent in your life as you can and as you will is important and will continue to be important as you get older. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And I've known men that have not been able to get to that place before their own father passed. And it's a tough one. You've talked a lot about a lot of different things that you've learned along the way. As we finish up today, what's one piece of advice you'd want to give to every dad? Well, uh, you know, (laughs) still for my own talk, that's one of the last things I say in my talk is to remind guys to dad like it's your job because it is your job. When you go off to work, that's your side hustle. I mean, it's so important to not just provide for your family, but to be a part of your family. You know, this idea of the dad that's, you know, that old cliche that, it's probably 75 years ago of the dad that comes home from work, sits down, he's reading the paper or he's watching sports and he doesn't really even know his kids or where, you know, which one's which or where they go to school or what. That's not what it was like when I was growing up in my house, even though my father was of that generation. He was a World War II veteran, but he was a very devoted dad, very loving father. I think maybe because my mom was sort of sickly, he had to step in and do a lot more parenting than other men of his generation. So that's what I would say. Be engaged with your kids because it's so great. It's so great to get to know them. And there's nothing like it. I love it. Uh, you mentioned your own podcast you're, and you mentioned the fact that you're a radio host as well. People want to find out more about you and what you're doing. Where should they go? Go to chrisitospeaks.com. That's where they can find out everything about me as far as my speaking career. There's little excerpts from the talk. There's a video on there. There's some testimonials. There's a way to reach out to me if you want to book me to give a talk. chrisitospeaks.com. If you want to hear the radio show, I mean, if you want to hear me cracking wise, talking between songs the kids are dancing to, then you can just go to the go to the iHeartRadio app and just search, search my name and my show will come up and you can listen anytime. You can listen anywhere in the world, Chris. That address again, the world. And you do have the podcast as well, and people can find that. Yeah, the pod is called Dad Like It's Your Job. It's available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Dad Like It's Your Job publishes every Thursday. Uh, As we're recording this, the latest issue or the latest episode features you. So there you go. So check that out. Well, Chris, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here today, for everything that you're doing to support your own kids and to be a great example for other dads and to challenge and help other dads along their journey. And I wish you all the best. Same here, Chris. I really appreciate the invitation. It's great to talk to you. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of fathering together. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. 
And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be